0: Well good morning and happy Father's Day. Good to see you guys here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is where we're going to be and we did a great, this is our last week in the pure gospel and I'm, I'm, it's kind of sad to see it go but I'm excited about the new series called Gospel Transformation. We're going to begin next week. One of the things I'm not sure how many of you love those court court movies or or legal movies. Uh, but, you know, growing up, I'm not sure growing up was the right term, but I was probably in my 20s. One of my favorite shows was Law and Order. Any Law and Order fans here in the room? All right, yes. And I'm not talking about like the side, you know, spinoffs, the original with Sam Waterson. That's what I'm talking about. All right. And I remember coming home. Uh, you know, after I was I was a youth pastor, I'd come come home after youth group, and that's when uh, kids, you had to go home at a certain time to watch a show you wanted to watch. There was a time in American history when we had to do that. And uh, we get Wednesday nights. Me and Liz would come home after church, and we'd watch nine o'clock Law and Order. And one of the things about you know these legal shows, these drama shows. Uh, you know they're, they're quite compelling because they show you human nature and they show you the you know the the pursuit of evidence. But you know inevitably, usually um, in these court cases, there there was everything was building up to that final argument, right? Where where the closing statements were made by both the you know the district attorney or the you know the the defendant's lawyer, and and those closing arguments were kind of the last chance to give your best push to say, this is what is true. And that's what Paul is doing here in this passage. In verses 2 through 12, Paul is going to give this one final statement, this one final teaching to make sure that there is clarity and conviction about the gospel moving forward. That there has been a lot of chaos There's been a lot of confusion because of these Judaizers coming in and teaching all of this this, false doctrine about, hey, not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to add circumcision. And so what Paul is doing is he's making sure that they know for sure before he gets into the next kind of instructions of how to live out the Christian faith, he wants to make sure there's, there's two crystal clear ideas that they're going to leave with. And, and, the, and the ideas that he's wanting them to leave with is, is that, number one, that salvation is in Christ alone through faith alone, that that is clear in their hearts, that they don't add anything else to that message, and that when, when false teachers or false doctrine come into their life, that they know what to do and how to reject that false teaching, these are the ideas that he's leaving them with. Just you know, throughout the first you know, four chapters, he has laid out this argument that there's only one true gospel, that there's these two paths that we talked about last week, that week after week we've been saying, listen, it's either the gospel or the law. It's either faith or works. It's either freedom or slavery. And there's, there's always these options that he's talking about. And he's, he's like, I want you to leave, I want you to understand, I want you to have clarity, crystal clear clarity on what the gospel is. And not only that, but you have the conviction that no one's going to tell you something otherwise, and you'll go down that direction. You know, one of the things as, as a father, you know, those of us who have children, we know that the, the struggle of, of parenting is not just making sure your kids behave when they're in your household. That really, um, the way I look at success is, how, how are my kids, you know, when they leave my household, And one of the things that is really maddening as a a parent, is, and you, you as parents know this, is that you can teach your kids the truth and you can lay out for them all the right things that they should say and do and believe. But once they leave your home, they have a lot of choices to make. And it's our job as parents is to give them the clarity to say, hey, listen, here's what the truth is and here's the path that we believe you should walk. But it takes a supernatural work of the Spirit to give that child or to give that person the conviction to live it out, right? And so one of the things that we are seeing today, I believe, in our culture is is we're seeing a lot of confusion. I think the enemy loves confusion. I think the enemy loves to to sow discord and and, and chaos and saying, you know, really, what is the truth? And we see this in so many areas today, whether it's about gender, whether it's about sexuality, whether it's about truth, whether it's about religion or about God or about money or about anything, that we live in a culture where there are so many messages and so many messengers through so many media outlets, and we are just sitting here and saying, well, out of all of these voices and of all these ideas and of all these premises, what is the truth? And Paul is making sure, and in in this final statement that he, they leave with a sense of, I know what the gospel is. I understand that I, I have the clarity and I have the conviction that it's in, that salvation is only in Christ alone through faith alone. And so if I was going to give you one main idea from this text is this that we need the clarity and the conviction, in Christ or in the pure gospel. We need the clarity and the conviction in the pure gospel that we know what to believe. We know the content of what we're putting our faith into and that that faith is mine. See, it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's it's one thing to know all the facts about Jesus, but how many of us say, yes, Jesus is mine, when I think about, you know, I shared this in the first service, when I think about my, my, my hope for today is that everyone sitting in this room can leave here with a sense that says, you know what, I know what the gospel is, and the gospel is mine. That's my hope. That's my prayer. You know, I think there's, there's again, there's so much confusion. One of, the, one of the biggest challenges that I run into with so many people that have grown up in the church, is, there's this sense of, I'm, I'm, I have doubts about whether my faith is real, or I'm confused about if, I've, if I'm really a Christian. And I remember asking this question at my old church. We did a survey, remember, here last year, and we'll probably do another survey this year, but I did a survey at my old church, and I remember asking this question, if you were to die tonight, are you sure that you would be in heaven with Jesus? And you know, people said yes or no, and we had a high percentage of people saying yes. But then the following question is, how sure are you? And I asked them to put a percentage. And It was interesting to see all the different percentages of people, that what they gave. Because they answered the first question, yes, I'm sure if I was to die tonight, I would be in heaven with Jesus. And then, well, how sure are you? And it was, you know, I saw a couple 50%. Saw a couple 70%. There was even one person that were 99%, you know? And and as I think about that, you know, I I want you, if you're sitting here this morning, and if there's any sense of unsurety or uncertainty, if there's any sense of confusion that you have about what the gospel is and whether or not the gospel is yours, then I, I hope that you're paying attention this morning. I want you to receive. I want you to have the clarity and the conviction in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's let's look at this text. One of the things that about we we read through the whole idea of the freedom, the freedom and slavery passage last week. And now Paul is going to conclude this argument, and he again, he he breaks this text into two separate parts. And the first part is verses 2 through 6, and the second part is verses 7 through 12. And so so the first part is is this here. The main point is clarity, that we need to have clarity and conviction to believe in Christ alone. It's in this first section that he really hammers home this part, that there's uh, there's nothing else that we can believe in for our salvation but Christ alone. Look what he says starting in verse 2. He says, Look, I, Paul... For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what is he saying here? He begins by saying, again, Paul has not mentioned circumcision that that often. He mentions it earlier when he's talking about, uh, after the Jerusalem Council, what he did with Silas. But for the first time, he names the error that's being taught, the error that you've got to be circumcised in order to really attain salvation. If you want to be a true believer, a true follower of Jesus, if you're not circumcised, you're not a true follower. Now, there's a reason why these Judaizers did this. The reason why they elevated circumcision is because uh, that was the final act that you did to, in some ways, it was like, this is the final, th- the final step to becoming Jewish. There are many things, there are many Gentiles in that day that went through this process of becoming a God-fearing uh Person that would align themselves with the Jewish people. And it first began with kind of learning, you know, attending synagogues and and then it was, you know, you know, observing the dietary laws, and then was dressing like them, and then it was observing some of the festivals. But the final step, you were never really considered fully Jewish until you were circumcised. And so this was the final step. And and Paul's saying, if you do this, if you make this step, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm really putting my faith and trust and circumcision, and not Jesus for my salvation. What, what Paul is saying, and again, he uses these two words. I want, I want you to, he uses a word play here in the text between verses 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, he says that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I want you to circle or underline that word advantage, and, and that, is the, that is the Greek word aphileo, Okay, Ophileo, which is the word, uh, it's where we get the, the name ophelia, the idea of benefit. There's gonna be no benefit to you. Christ will be of no benefit to you if you accept circumcision. And then in verse three, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated. That word obligated is aphiletes. So aphileo and aphiletes. He's playing off these two words of being a debtor. So he's saying, if you accept circumcision, the benefit of Christ, salvation, justification, that you are declared righteous, that you are an heir of the promise, that you are delivered from sin, that you're delivered from the, the spiritual enemies of darkness, that you, you're all the benefits, the promises through, through Abraham, that all of these things, nothing. You don't get anything. Don't hedge your bets. You're either going to have all of the benefits that you have in Christ, or you will be obligated, you'll be a debtor to the law to keep the whole law. You know, one of the things that, that uh, when it comes to investments, I don't, I don't really, I'm not an invest, huge investor. My brother's a financial person, but I, what I do know is you need to diversify your investments so that if one of those things tanks, you're, you're secure in other areas. And so, you know, people put, you know, they buy some stocks and real estate and, and that's how, you know, you're supposed to do investment. Um, Now, that sounds really good for security purposes, but you cannot bring that same mindset into your religious life or your spiritual life. I mean, imagine if we brought that same mentality say, you know what, I'm pretty sure that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But just, you know, just to make sure that, that there's, not, you know, there's not any misunderstanding, I'm gonna, I want to cover all of my bases. So you know what I'm going to do? Every Friday, I'm going to go to the mosque and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make sure that I, I do the prayers and I do the Islamic thing because you know what I just want to make sure that I get up to heaven. It's really Allah, not Jesus. Hey, I went every Friday, and if and every Saturday I'm gonna go to the synagogue because I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the you know the, the the religious ceremonies of the Jewish people. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go to church on Sunday. Make sure I get the Jesus thing covered. And every you know maybe every other Wednesday I'll hit a Jew, a, a Hindu temple just to make sure now does that is that person a f- true follower of Jesus no they are not because you can't divvy up it's not like chips you know it's not like you have a 100 chips and you're like i'm going to put 75 with Jesus and it is i'm all in on Jesus and nothing else you cannot compromise to say I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in, that Jesus can save me, but I'm going to trust in something else. You cannot add anything to the gospel. It's Christ alone. What I mean by Christ alone, it is Jesus, you believe that what he did, you believe in who he is, that he is the son of God. You believe that he went to the cross you believe that he died for your sins, that he was your substitute. You believe that he rose again from the dead. You believe that he ascended into heaven. You believe that it is only through him that salvation, and it's by faith alone. It's not by anything you do. So there's no other name, there's no other work of salvation. It's Christ alone, and there's nothing else that you can do for salvation. It's not, I'm believing in Jesus, plus I was baptized. I'm believing in Jesus, plus I gave a lot of tithes tithe every single week. I, I believe in Jesus and I attended church and I was a church member. I believe in Jesus and I did, you know, there's nothing else. It's not Jesus plus anything. That's what we mean by Christ alone. When he says there's, if you accept circumcision, erase circumcision and put any other act, a religious act or human effort in that blank, if you do that, then you cannot say that the benefits of Jesus are for you. It is in Christ alone through faith alone. That's, he's trying to make that crystal clear. And then he says verse 4, now this is, this is a tricky one. Okay, this is, this is the verse, and I'll be honest with you, that I spent the most time dissecting and, and studying because this is one of these verses that needs some explanation. Look again at what it says in verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be severed from Christ? And what does it mean to be to fall away from grace? Now, I'm not sure what faith tradition you grew up in. There's some, within Christianity, there are groups of people that teach that, that once, maybe you've heard this before, that once you are saved, you are always saved. Or you believe in the the term eternal security, that you put your faith in Christ and your salvation is secure. Other groups call it the perseverance of the saints, that that if you are truly a believer, you'll persevere to the end. And and that's that's the faith tradition I grew up in. There are some groups that believe that you can lose your salvation. And so when you come across a verse like this, you're wondering, like okay, what does this mean? So I want to take a little detour because I, I believe it's important for us to talk about this because we live in a world, we live in a time... When we hear of people deconstructing their faith, whether someone who's popular or even someone that we know, and they, they might walk away from the Christian faith. And so can you lose your salvation? And so I, I, what I want to do is I want to take a little detour and explain what I believe this verse means, because when you read this, it sounds like they're, they're, they're losing something that they had. So here's what you do. A great rule when you're studying the Bible, you want to write this down, is you interpret unclear Bible passages with clear Bible passages. Okay, so if you're ever reading something and a verse stands out to you and says, hmm, that seems to contradict or tell me something differently than, than the what, what the totality of the narrative of scripture tells me, then I need to figure out what this is really saying. Okay? So what I want to do is I wanna show you, I'm gonna have three screen, three screens of verses on the for you. So if you want to take pictures of these, you can. The first screen is this: these are all verses that have to do with our salvation being guaranteed, okay? And so the first, I, I, I was going reading through Romans 8, and I just put the whole chapter on there, okay? Because it begins with, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that if you are justified, you never have to worry about condemnation ever again, Right? Later on in the chapter, it says, those whom God calls, he also justifies. And those whom God justifies, he glorifies. There's a guaranteed that justification leads to glorification. Okay, And then at the end of chapter 8, he says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Okay. Then you have Philippians 1, 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, which talk about this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Right there's this idea of the work that God began in you with salvation; He will be faithful to complete it. Then you have Ephesians one again. The whole chapter is phenomenal when you're dealing with the 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 surety of our salvation. But specifically, those two verses thirteen and fourteen talk about that the Holy Spirit is, is seals us, seals us. For our inheritance in salvation. And if you understand what that word sealed meant in the Roman context, it meant this is something that once it's done, it cannot be undone. Okay, so there's a lot of this language of sealing, guaranteeing, and then John ten twenty-eight through thirty is this famous passage when Jesus says, "Those whom God the Father has given me are mine, and no one can pluck them out of my hand." So these are this is just this is not an exhaustive list, but these are the ones that stand out to me as man. Th- these are assurances of our salvation, but there are also verses that point to this idea of of falling away, and this is the next list. And these are verses that that can challenge us to well. Is, is losing your salvation possible? And you know, that first one, Romans chapter 11, talk about that, you know, if we do not continue in God's kindness, that we will be cut off. All right? Just like, and he, again, he's using the analogy of, of Israel being cut off and being set like a branch cut off. So what does he mean by it? And again, I cannot exegete and go into detail about all these passages. I'm just showing you verses that are that Possibly convey a message that someone could lose their salvation. Then you have 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 8, uh, which is this idea of examining yourself and testing yourself. Uh, and, and you can fail to meet the test of once you examine yourself, all right? So there's this idea of what if I fail the test? Uh, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. This is probably the most famous one in the New Testament. This idea that it says it is impossible for those who have experienced, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit and the people of God and, and these I, these spiritual experiences within, within salvation, that if they have tasted them, that if they fall away, it is impossible for them to regain repentance, okay? So there's this idea of falling away again. And then you have this passage in, in Galatians 5, 4, which again, let's look at this again. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So how do you harmonize the verses that guarantee our salvation those who, when once we are justified with these verses right here and i and i believe there are some passages that shine light and again this is not an exhaustive study on this on this issue but i want you to okay what do we do with this what do i do with this passage and these the, the next list of of scriptures are are just passages that i believe give some explanation and, and, the, and the first one starts with 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, now to me, that's a really important verse, because John is, was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was, one, he was the youngest one. He probably wrote this letter, 1 John, in, in the 80s, A.D., which would have been 50 years after Jesus died, rose, and ascended, which means he has seen generations of people come join the Jesus movement and then fall away. And what he says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is, listen, there are people that will come in and then they will leave, but they were never really of us in the first place. Jesus also points us out. Those three passages are really, is the parable of the seed and the sower. And you know, this is Jesus' description of the kingdom, and in this he's, he refers to the seed being scattered, which is the gospel, and some of it falls on you know, the pathway where the birds are, are eat it up, and then some fall on rocky soil where it springs up, and then, but there's no real root system, right, and it dies and withers, and then there's some where the thorns choke it out and it dies, but then there's some seed that falls in good soil that produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. Jesus with that parable is saying there will be times when people will have this initial response to the gospel, but their initial response doesn't last. It doesn't produce fruit. Why? Because their faith wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. And, And what we have to conclude is that there are going to be people that start off looking like they really follow Jesus and believe the Bible, but at some point they fall away. And the reason they fall away is not because they lost their salvation. It's because they never fully trusted in Jesus in the first place. And, and so that, and if you look at verse 4, there's a clue in this verse that helps us to understand what Paul is saying. When he says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. What he's saying is these are people that have not yet made their final decision. These are people who are wrestling with faith. These are people who are not unsure of, do I believe in circumcision or do I believe in Jesus? But justification has not yet been determined because their faith is not yet solidly in Christ alone. Now, now, this how do you apply this? I think one of the things... We don't walk around as followers of Jesus, as, you know, the salvation cops being like, I'm not sure if you're saved or not, right? That's not how we should apply this text. In fact, I would say this, for those of us who grow up in the church, I know I went through a period like this when I was younger, where we, we read passages of scripture saying a true believer does this or acts like this, and it causes confusion in us. And what did I say? The enemy loves to sow confusion, just because you're confused and just because you have doubts doesn't mean you're not saved. But what I would say is this doesn't mean that, you know, maybe you are an unbeliever. There's a young man who was in my youth group that really wrestled with this. And for years, he he was coming to me for counsel. And, and uh, I remember he was meeting me one time and after the church service, he came forward and, and he was just bawling. And he, I took him to my office and we t- were talking and He was just expressing to me, he's like, I've just, I've prayed the sinner's prayer a hundred times. Every time I prayed, I feel like I just don't feel saved. I don't feel saved. I don't feel saved. And he's just going on and on and on. And I'm just, you know, okay, what do I say in this moment? And it was like, God gave me the perfect thing to say. Okay. And this is where, you know, salvation is from the Lord. Just like Dustin was saying, we don't have to come up with these things to say. God will give them to you. And I just remember saying, he said, you know what? It sounds to me like what you're putting your faith in is this prayer. And you're not putting faith in Jesus. I said, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt pray the sinner's prayer. Right? What it does say is, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. I said, right now, you don't have to say a word. But if you want Jesus to be your Savior, believe it and it will happen. And it was like watching this veil tear apart and he was just like, I believe, I believe. And It was at that moment, he truly became a follower of Jesus. You know, bringing up this issue of faith, sometimes it can confuse us and make us worried. like, oh, am I getting faith right? Well, listen, it's good to know that it's not up to you to try to get faith right. Because you know what he says in verse 5? Look what, look what he says again. For through the Spirit, for through the Spirit by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. You see, if you want to get faith right, the Holy Spirit's going to help you get faith right. It's not about saying these magic words, I say it right, or, or I'm not sure if I have enough. Listen, if you want Jesus, if you want to be saved, the Holy Spirit will come and lead you to salvation. There's not one person that has ever wanted to be saved and put their faith in Christ, trust in Christ that God's like, nope, I don't want you. It's not it. And we can trust, we can entrust that the Holy Spirit is going to work in us to show us what to believe and what to think and what to say, whatever it is, the Spirit of God will help us. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to make sure that, oh, did I get that right? Okay? If you're worrying about that, what what are you really putting your faith in? Yourself. And you're not putting in in Jesus to save you. And and so this beautiful picture that Paul's saying, this is what faith is. True faith comes through the Spirit. And true faith, in verse 6, true faith works itself out through love. Stop worrying about proving yourself to God, earning your salvation. But know this, that faith... True, genuine faith works itself out in love. Paul's going to get into a section. He's setting up the next section of his, of his letter where he talks about the Spirit a lot. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, this, this idea of working out our salvation, but knowing that we do not work for our salvation. And so he is making this crystal clear for these people. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Is that your story? Is that the gospel you've believed? And is that gospel yours? That's number one. Number two, we need to have clarity and conviction. We need to have clarity and conviction to have a zero tolerance policy towards false teachers. He begins this next section, verses 7 through 12, talking about these false teachers, because as much as he wants them to have this firm foundation conviction in the truth, He also wants them to have clarity and conviction about what to do with this teaching and these teachers who have disrupted them. And look what he says, verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, this is, a, this is one of the most graphic, one of the most crazy things that Paul has ever written. I had this idea of titling my sermon, either Christ Alone or Castration, but... <laughs> I just didn't know how appropriate it would have been. I also cannot, I just find it so fascinating that we're talking about castration during Father's Day. It's just, it's just ironic to me, okay? And, but Paul is using another wordplay here, okay? Just like he used the wordplay between offaletto and afalates in the first section, he's using another wordplay here. And it's using this wordplay of cutting. Okay. For example, in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you? Now that word hindered is the Greek word for getting cut off in a race. They actually had a word that mean getting cut off. So, so what he's saying is, who, who cut you off? right? And then he ends with, I wish they would cut it off. So again, he's, he's having a word play here. But he's, he's making the point, and again, this is the whole idea, this is around circumcision, which involves cutting. And this is the whole irony of it, but he's using this, this language because he's, what he's trying to do is and he's invoking and drawing people into having an emotional response to this. I do, what he's saying is, I don't want you to just kind of flippantly say, well, you know, what's good for you is good for you and what's bad for you. No, no. He wants you to feel something, okay? For example, if you get cut off when you're driving, how do you feel? like I just pray for him pastor. <laughs> no you don't. You're like oh, I wish your car would flip over or I hope there's a cop up there that's going to pull you over. Right? When you get cut off, it's either at, at, at our nicest we're annoyed, but at our in our worst we get really angry, right? And and so getting cut off is something that should sp- sp- naturally sp- spur up something in us that says I don't like that. I get, I, I get annoyed to angry when someone cuts me off. And Paul's saying, I want you to have this emotional response to this error, to this doctrine that's saying, this isn't right. But then he talks about castration. Why in the world would he talk about castration in this moment? Well, I believe he's trying to make the point that this is severe, but I also think he's, there's, a, there's a cultural reason and there is a spiritual reason why he's using this analogy here. And the cultural reason is this. I didn't really discover this until I did my study this week, but there was, there was a pagan cult that was a local cult that started in, in this Galatian region. And this they, they were called the, the, the Galli, the G-A-L-L-I, if you want to look them up later. Um, these are people that there was a cult, uh, a fertility cult, that worshipped this goddess named Sabele, C Y. B-E-L-E. I don't know if that's Sibele or Cybele, but this is, she was the mother goddess of the earth. And so she was a fertility cult. Um, and, and, and there was a common myth, you know, that all these gods had these stories. And one of the stories within this cult is that Sibele fell in love with a young boy, but this young boy, because he did not want to, you know, copulate with this goddess, ended up castrating himself. And so, in one of the most weird, bizarre rituals that this, this cult group would do, one of the priests during these rituals uh, that would happen on a, on a seasonal basis, they would have this public display of, of worship by which they would publicly castrate themselves. Okay, And it was viewed upon by the general populace as, ugh, like these people are weird. Now, again, this is, let me just say this. This is a side commentary. If you study human you know, anthropology throughout the generations, throughout the millennia, it has never been socially acceptable or praised for men to emasculate themselves. And I find it so sad that within the context of what's happening in our society today, that this perversion is being celebrated. This is something that even 2,000 years ago was looked at upon as, ugh, okay? What Paul is trying to do is saying, the way you feel about people cutting you off when you're running, okay, you didn't have cars back then, but they were walking, when people cut you off, and the way you feel about these weirdos over here that castrate themselves, the disgust. I want you to feel that same way about any doctrine, any message that conflicts with the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to have the standard that says, I will not tolerate anything that violates the word of God. Listen, it's not about, I don't care how anyone or any message makes you feel Okay? We live in a society and a culture today by which you can put some splices of people saying some things with some music and some images that you can watch a message on, on, on YouTube to TikTok to, to Facebook to Instagram, whatever, the reels, and you can watch something within for 90 seconds that make you think, oh, and it can be a lie. It can be a lie. I don't care how a preacher or a teacher makes you feel. If they're teaching falsehood, if they're teaching error, then they are wrong. I can imagine that when Eve was standing there with the serpent and the serpent said, if you eat this, you can become like God. She felt warm inside. She felt good about that message. Don't get sucked into this idea of it made me feel something, therefore it must be true. We cannot check our brains at the door. What, what Paul is saying is, is I, want you, I want you to feel something, but I want you to feel something about the error. And I want you to understand what this error leads to. It leads to what? It leads to the severing from Christ. It leads to you not receiving the benefits of salvation and justification. That's the reality. And, and again, let me just say this. What Paul is talking about here, he is talking about the primary doctrines of orthodoxy. Where this is, please do not apply this to secondary issues that Christians disagree upon, okay? You know, I've seen some people get really, you know, rallied, really, you know, in a lather over something that's like, yeah, that's we're all going to be in heaven someday, okay? What we're talking about here is doctrine, it's, it's falsehood, it's lies, it's confusion, it's chaos that keep people from Jesus Christ. That's what we should care about. That's what we should defend. And, and so one of the things that he says, I love this, a little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. Listen, you cannot, you, again, zero tolerance policy. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Those of you who are bakers in this room, you understand the power of yeast. You understand the power of leaven. You know, my wife, it was probably during COVID when she really got into baking and baking all kinds of breads and sourdoughs, and she's got the starter, and she's she bakes all this, you know, c- you know, cinnamon raisin bread, and she bakes all kinds of hoagie rolls and sourdough breads. And, I mean, she's made so much. I mean, we... We eat good in our household, okay? And I love it when my wife bakes bread. It's amazing when I see her try to, you know, with the dough and, or the flour and the water, and, and she just adds a little bit of this sprinkle, you know, that little packet of the leaven, or she adds a little bit of that, that starter from sourdough. And to see that thing go, <laughs> right? What, what Paul is saying is if you, in, if you interject, if you allow these lies into your church, into your life, it can corrupt the entire thing. It can corrupt the entire thing. So don't tolerate it for a second. And, and, and what's so encouraging about this is, it's not, again, just like he said, the faith through the Spirit, like, like you're like, I try to get faith right. Don't have to freak out. The Spirit's going to help you. He's going to put people in your life to help you. But he, he, look what he says in verse 8 and 10. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus. Look at verse 10 again. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. One of the most encouraging things that Paul is reminding them of is, listen, you, if you have the spirit, he will help you. Remember what Jesus said? He is called our guide and he's called our counselor and our helper to help us through these things. And if you're unsure of, of ideas and messages and and philosophies that are coming in. Hey, bring it before the Holy Spirit. Bring it to the church of Jesus Christ to make sure that it's not you're not going off in one direction. But, but the Spirit of God is going to help his children to stay faithful to him. And that is a guarantee. You know, one of the things as we've talked about this idea of clarity and conviction, you know, here's what I know is that all I can do, my role as a communicator is to bring clarity. But you know one thing I can't do? I cannot give you conviction. No one can, except the Spirit of God. And what is the Spirit of God saying to you right now in this moment? What's the Spirit of God stirring up in you? What is the conviction He's giving to you? You know, My, my hope and my prayer is that if there's anyone here who is unsure, if there's anyone here who doubts, if there's anyone here who's putting their faith and trust in something else besides Christ alone, that you will settle that today. And Whether we we walk out of here, we're going to be, you know, there's going to be, whether you come talk to me or there's a prayer team out in the lobby. But if, if you have not put faith, your faith alone in Christ alone for your salvation, you are not saved, and there's no guarantee for your salvation. The benefit of Christ is not yours. And even if you have questions about that, talk to someone, whether it's me or someone that you trust to guide you in the truth. Maybe it's your life community leader. Maybe it's your parent. Uh, maybe it's another pastor here and staff, but what, whoever it may be, talk to someone who can help guide you to Christ alone and faith alone. So two questions, and then I'm done. Number one, do you believe that it is Christ alone that saves? Do you believe that? That's a yes or no. There's no either or. There's nothing. There's no amendments to that question. That is, is it Christ alone through faith alone for you? Yes or no? You've got to answer that. Number two, is there any leaven in your life? Is there any, is there any false ideas, philosophies, worldviews You know, maybe it's not even just doctrinal errors from Scripture. It could just be the philosophy of the world that's creeping into your thinking. It's coming in, it's taking territory, and all of a sudden, you start thinking more like the world than you are thinking like Jesus. But this little leaven can create something dangerous in your life. And it's time for you to make sure that you have a zero-tolerance policy for error. What will you do with that?